0: Preventing suicide is one of our society's greatest challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness PACT podcast. PACT stands for Prevention Awareness compassion training the suicide pact podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives this podcast series is funded in part by the kansas health foundation americorps seniors and the greater manhattan community foundation our hope is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope our website and contact info is included in the show notes
1: so nice to be back in the uh, studios here today with the Suicide Awareness Pact podcast. My name's Dave Lewis and joined by co-host Lori Bishop of the Flint Hills Volunteer Center. Welcome back.
2: Thank you, Dave. Great to be back.
1: And we have a guest today who has uh, seen a lot in her life. Uh, I've known of her and and some of the uh, uh, stories that she's going to offer with us today. And uh, this is going to be an episode here, I I really think that the people can gain a lot of perspective.
2: Yes, and and that's true. Um, I'm delighted today to have Mel Pooler uh, with me. Mel is uh, one of our AmeriCorps senior volunteers and has been an active member of our uh, Suicide Prevention Task Force. And that's um, something we're trying to to get established and get that as a, a great working group. But as we've discussed, Dave, on other podcasts and stuff, we're not professionals by any means. And what we want to do is, is bring awareness. And if people can relate to any of our speakers that we have, of, of those of us that have been through this, uh, that they can relate, but it's also to help others. And, and, and awareness is probably one of the biggest things we want. So I want to uh, kick it off and uh, welcome you, Mel. And uh, uh, you might, do you want to share how we first uh, became connected?
3: Certainly. Uh, first of all, thank you, Dave. Certainly. Thank you, Lori, for here. giving me this opportunity to share my story. Um, Lori and I met through a mutual friend, Judine, who is a social worker at one of the primary phys- physicians here in town. And, um, when I lost my younger son to suicide, uh, she kind of hooked us up and thought we would work well together and I would be able to help in this, um, awareness and uh, program that we have.
2: And that is, is so true. And I, uh, you know, we've we've known each other for a while and and, and have had this communication. And as two mothers have, have lost a son, uh, or in your case, two sons, just are being able to talk and we can talk to each other and know exactly what the other one is saying. And so that was uh, something else I thought would be really good uh, to have you on so that others can hear your story. So do you, you want to tell us a little bit about your sons? Yes,
3: I'd like to. Um, first of all, I agree with you. Lori, um, we're on a similar journey—a journey that mothers don't want to be on—but it's good to know we don't have to travel alone. We have each other, and we want to make other people aware that they don't have to travel alone through the, the sorrow of, of losing a loved one to suicide. I lost both of my sons to suicide. I lost Matthew, my oldest son. On November of 2009, and then Kelly, my younger son, passed away in September of 2020 and to suicide as well. But their suicides were very different. Matthews was more due to relationship problems and he felt like it was the end of the world and he couldn't see past that moment in time. On the other hand, Kelly did deal with mental illness and the loss of his older brother made that more difficult and challenging for him. And so, yeah, I've lost both of my sons.
2: Yeah, and, and as we were talking earlier, um I, I, I just love the connection we have because in, in talking we both realize um our two oldest sons went to school together yes. and uh both passed away within a couple of months exactly. of each other. Um and so we 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 do have that. But um tell us a little bit about your journey. What did you go through? Let's start with your first son.
3: What what did you go through during that first time? It was very traumatic and um I knew Matthew was struggling with his relationship. Um, I had a sense that it wasn't going to end well. And Matthew's suicide was very public, uh, in our community. And, um, I, I won't go into all the particulars sure. about it but it was very traumatizing I don't think my, I was there my daughter was there their father was there I don't think we were the only ones traumatized um, when it happened I think everyone there was traumatized and I think um, what I've discovered is it's a generational trauma. My granddaughter, who knew Matthew before he passed, has the pain of that loss. And my two other grandchildren, who never knew Matthew, have the loss of not knowing him. I think for the first maybe few months, you're almost in a I don't know, a fog, and not able to really get your head around the fact that your child has died. We had a lot of support, and we also had people who meant to be kind, but didn't help in a way that was very beneficial to us. Not to say that they were intentionally uh, trying to um, hurt us, but because we're not informed enough and that's why I feel so that it's so important that I'm able to share my story yes and, and that's
2: the one thing I think I've learned along my journey as we, we've talked about it I mean, it took a good 10 years before I could could talk because I just I kept it all to myself because people were curious mm-hmm. and you know I didn't I, I just that was my space you know and stuff and um, as as we've discussed if we keep not speaking it's not going to change and so y- by telling our
3: stories I think will make a big difference well, in, I think if the- we internalize it it creates more trauma and it isolates us we think nobody else has gone through what we gone through and especially with the issue of suicide um, because it's such a stigma and because we don't understand Um, sometimes like a physical illness a mental illness becomes terminal and um, I on the other hand being a talker had to tell people my story and I didn't feel offended when they asked how Matthew died I got to the point that it was empowering for me and for my family and in Matt's memory. And the same with Kelly that my sons died by suicide. And, um, let me share my story. And the thing that healed me so much, what ha- helped me is that I had so many people say, I know someone or I loved someone that died by suicide. And what happens is you begin to shed that isolation and there's strength in numbers and we can work together to help solve the problems that many of us are going through. I think all of us either know someone or love someone who struggles mentally or has those times in their lives when they don't feel they're going to be able to get through something. And just knowing that helps us. What would you suggest that people watch for? Um, I think with Matthew... It was his, um, just his breaking up of his relationship, the the uh, trauma within that. I did have a sense that this was coming a couple of weeks before Matthew passed away. But I, um, I felt like I told you, Lori, it was like a train barreling down the tracks. I couldn't stop just some feeling within me. And then with Kelly, it was a long-term process because he never really um, recovered or found healing in the death of his brother. And um, he dealt with physical pain, which doctors helped relieve by painkillers. It spun into a rabbit hole that he was never able to dig himself out of. And one drug led to another. And Kelly dealt with depression and um, anxiety that was um, diagnosed that way, and so everything just came upon him. That he he tried. I will. I want to make this point that. Some of the strongest people I have ever known are people who deal with mental illness. You consider that they get up every single day, they try to make a life for themselves, they strive through every obstacle that comes their way. They don't, they want to live. They want to be here. They don't want to leave their loved ones and their friends. They just want the pain to stop. And if we have a physical illness a lot of times, we can go to the doctor. Oh, we have a headache, take some Tylenol or get some help. But we aren't as far advanced with mental illness. And I think of people every day who fight their own mental enemy with every weapon they possibly have to their disposal until the enemy overtakes them and they die. And it's not their wish. They want to live. They want to be happy. They want to stay here with the rest of us. Right. And, and you know, when we were
2: talking earlier is like we don't have that decision to make us healthy or, you know, our thought process, you know, mental illness is something that we don't have that much control of and and we've talked before about bullying you know and stuff and that's that's something that kind of frustrates me because we don't know what is wrong with that, that other person and and you know so that's one thing and we've talked before about uh
3: we we've talked about a topic on myth busters mm-hmm. um what would you like to share on that first of all let me say something about the bullying it's an epidemic in itself and being a teacher It was very common to see younger and younger children uh, making the decision to end their lives because of bullying is something that we as schools and communities still need to address. And students, when we were going to school, if you got bullied, you left school, it was over for the day. But now we have social media and there's no relief. And um, I think that's another discussion at some time we need to have. Um, I think there are a lot of stigmas with suicide or comments people have said to me, meaning, well, meaning to help me, um, but saying, um, for example, someone told me uh, what your son did was very selfish. And I thought that they probably thought that would help make me feel better, but it didn't. My boys were not selfish. They gave of everything they had to their community, to their friends. I know how much they loved us. And the selfishness was never a piece of it. In fact, they fought longer than they probably would have because they loved us and they didn't want to leave us. So I think that's one thing we need to think about. And we can't judge one person's suicide against everybody else's. Right. I also think, and maybe uh, you said this was brought up before, but the words we use um, in describing how people die by suicide, I think it's just been a tradition in our language that when someone dies um, by suicide, we use the word commit. When Matthew, my oldest son, died, a very dear friend of mine who belongs to the Mennonite church, um, educated me on that. Because I was saying Matthew committed suicide. And she said, let me share something with you, Mal. She said, in our church, we don't use the word commit. To define someone who died by suicide. She said, think of it. In our society, it's either a crime or it's a sin, the word commit. If I came to you and said, we had a mutual friend and said, did you hear our mutual friend committed cancer? You would say, what? You wouldn't understand. And Removing that word helps give dignity to the person who has passed away and to their family. Words are powerful, and they can create a lot of healing if we learn how to discuss the issue. That's
2: an excellent point. And I know we've talked about this with our task force and in educating when we go out and do our trainings and stuff that we do say the word died by suicide and trying to get that, um, education out, uh, to everyone. And, and you made a really good point
3: on, on using the right words. Well, and I think especially our healthcare professionals and or people in the helping professions that deal uh, often with people who are in crisis. You know, learning that language is very important.
1: I know that, uh, you know, listening to the two of you, I don't have the same background of losing a child to suicide, but I did lose my spouse to cancer. And I know that I'm a little bit more interested in how things are verbalized than a lot of people. And if you've never been through a loss of a loved one, regardless of the circumstances, how you phrase things is extremely important. And many people will come to you if they learn the story, and you both know what it's like to go to a uh, a remembrance service or a funeral service, and you know they have words that they want to be able to say, but they don't know what to say. But what is important is knowing that they care and making sure that they are comfortable by being able to share that their concerns are for you in moving forward. You know, and, and Lori, I think you and I have talked about this, you know, it's time to move on. It's been 16 years since my wife passed away. I have no intention of moving on, but I must move forward. And, you know, the the fact that the two of you can sit here in front of microphones and share your stories, which are heart-wrenching, but there's also I think a tremendous amount of power in sharing the story, and I think, you know, for me, it's been very therapeutic to share the story as well.
3: I think you make an excellent point about people, when we lose a loved one, no matter how they pass um, and the things people say, we have an obligation as those that grieve to understand that people just care. And as you said, they don't always know what to say, but their intention is always good some things we just have to give up to the universe and, re- and remember that we don't always know in our society what to say. Talking about death is something we don't do comfortably in our communities. I think be kind and understand people are just wanting to make you know that you're loved, they care about you, and um, sometimes it's hard to find the words.
2: You know, and Mel, that's one thing we've been talking about on these podcasts. For some of us that have been speaking, is how we all grieve differently. So losing your loved one, uh, in my case, I probably grieve differently than maybe what you did. But as we say with the Yellow Ribbon program, it's okay. You know, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to 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 have that that moment. I think that is something that we 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 kind of tend to not think about too. Is how when you approach somebody, they might be grieving in a way that
3: you're not aware of. And that's, I think, really important too because we have to respect the fact that people grieve differently, understand that every loss is different as well. I think it serves us well to remember no matter who we are, uh, what we're doing in life we all have our broken parts someone may be smiling they look happy in the face but we all have our broken parts and it would serve us well to just be kind to each other you don't know if something you say may make a difference for that person's day
1: this is the suicide awareness pack podcast it's funded in part by the kansas health foundation americorps seniors and the greater manhattan community foundation and in our podcast series, we feature personal stories, and we have some professional perspectives and other issues, but today is very personal perspectives. Uh, the three of us have all have uh, uh, significant losses in our lives, and uh, uh, Laurie Bishop, co-host here, you've lost your son. Mel Pooler, our guest today, you've uh, had two sons that have died by suicide, and it's a, it's a profound world that we find ourselves in. And our hope, Mel, is that, and and I think you see this, if you have an opportunity to share your story with someone, you do that. That is not about us necessarily sharing the story, but it's the hope that this next person who is dealing with a similar circumstance can find their way moving forward.
3: That's, too, an excellent point. I still have two sons. I'm still their mother. And how I live my life today is how I parent them. And sharing my story and their story um, helps lift other people up. And I don't think my sons would expect anything less of me. Um, I want their legacy to be one that is... Um, encouraging to others, and helps other people know that there are people that care. I, of course, would have wished this never had happened, but in my own faith, I am so grateful for the lessons that have been presented to me, and my intention is to make the most of them. I think of what Anne Frank said often, and she said, we all live with the objective of being happy. Our lives are all different, but yet the same and that's true. Mm-hmm. You that know, let's true. just try to be kind to each other. Let's have conversations about things that we find difficult uh, to talk about. I think it will benefit all of us. And let's remember a community. We live in a community. We may we share the same zip code, and we share a lot of same life experiences. But a community is to commune with one another, to connect. When I look in somebody else's eyes, I see a reflection of myself. What happens to you, good or bad, happens to me. And when we look out for each other, we're all healthier and we're happier people. And that's the way I think it should be.
1: Mel, after my wife passed away, and actually before I was dealing with a lot of depression issues and I continue to have depressive moments in my life, but you know, finding, I, I, I happen to say the wrong things to the right person at the right time who found a way to get me some help. There's that stigmatism about mental health still that, you know, it's, it's a, some perceive it to be a sign of weakness. And I know that, I believe you mentioned it earlier, that some of the dealings with mental illness are some of the strongest people that you know. And to recognize the fact that I had some issues that, yes, led to suicidal thoughts a number of times in the last 15 some years, 16 years, you know, those moments in, in my life have transformed what, you know, was a life of happiness And now I feel like more it's a a life of purpose. And I think that that's, that's, that's a growth matter for people that are, you know, by being able to tell our stories here.
3: I appreciate you sharing that, Dave. You have dealt with depression, and why wouldn't you? You lost the love of your life. You had a child to raise. You had so many responsibilities, and to pretend that you wouldn't. Be depressed is not fair to you or your children or the rest of us that need to learn those lessons from you. And you have a voice. You have a voice that many people will hear. I've dealt with depression, even without the loss of my sons. There have been times in my life when it just sucked. And there were times when I felt I couldn't tell anyone because they would say, what's wrong with you? Get over it. And, you know, telling someone to get over depression or mental illness is like telling someone to get over a heart attack. Nobody wishes, nobody wants to be depressed. And the best thing we can do for each other is show support, be respectful, and thank people who come forward and share their stories. Because what are we doing? We're educating each other. And hopefully when we know better, we do better. We are family. We're all connected to one another. There's no shame in being depressed. There's no shame in dealing with mental illness. And there's no shame in losing a loved one who dies by suicide.
1: This also goes back to words matter. You know, we've talked about moving. People will tell you time to move on. I shared a photograph of my wife up on social media here just a few months ago. And a really good friend of mine said, Dave, you've got to move on. I said, no, that's not the proper word. You move forward. Because moving on says that that woman was not significant in my life. Another thing is, you know, uh, to get over it. Getting through it is another matter entirely. My uh, grandmother lost a child uh, at age 18 months. And I was just out at the old family church where he's buried. He would have been my uh, father's older brother. Died at a year and a half in a, in a car accident back in the uh, mid-20s. And my grandmother told my mother, said, no, it's just something you don't get over, but you get used to it. These words, and they may not be significant to a lot of people because they haven't had that experience. We know that they don't mean worse. We just want to make sure that they understand how those words matter and the impact that they can have on people that are dealing with maybe a mental illness, maybe dealing with memories of that loved one who's no longer here. It may be dealing with all the challenges that come along with that person no longer in our lives on a day-to-day basis.
2: And I, I think that first year, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I, I will explain this too to, to friends of mine that have lost someone. That first year is the hardest because mm. it's your first year not celebrating their birthday, Mother's Day, Christmas. You know, all of those year-long activities that we always did things as a family. You know, our I, I remember the first time we had our family photos taken and Shane wasn't in it. And it's like, that was the hardest thing for me to have a family photo and I'm missing my son. Yeah. You know, so that's where you got to go through all of that, you know, moving forward. It took me a long time to move forward, but it is. And until and, and you've lost that loved one, it, it's hard because, you know, you you see pictures from the Christmas the year before, you know, the laughter and all that. And then here's this Christmas and you're not in that picture. So there's a lot of
3: changes that you have to adapt to after losing a loved one. It's very, very profound. Mm -hmm. And until you've experienced it, you just don't know what it's like. Dave, like you said, moving forward, and people do it at their own pace. It's there not are no timelines, No timelines, right um, and we have to respect that in each other. There are t- days when I just feel really good, and other days I feel like I'm back at day one, and I allow myself to feel that way, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's okay to grieve. I, I kind of visualize it in my own mind that there are times I need to go back into that cocoon and wrap myself up in it, and cry, and be sad, and get it all out, Mm -hmm. and then come out of that cocoon and live my life like my sons would want me to do. I don't think it gets better over time. It does get softer, and you do find a purpose to the legacy, to teach others, and what could be more wonderful in a loss to know there is good that you can do out of it.
2: Yeah, and I I remember, um, you know, like I said, I, I you all know I struggled after Shane had passed, and w- and we talk about signs, and and you know I had my yellow butterfly. I told that story, but you know I was walking my dog once, and all of a sudden, you know, he was walking so fast, and all of a sudden he just stopped. And I looked down and there was twigs that made a cross. And then another time I I, I wouldn't drive the area where he he died and I avoided that. So the one day I finally drove down that road, I was at a stop sign and there was a car right beside me. And I saw this and I know it was him, reached around the driver and smiled and waved and would go forward. And I looked back over and the car disappeared. So I knew there are signs. And I think if we all just take that moment, like you said, going into your moment,
3: there are those signs that that we'll see that they let us know they're okay. Absolutely. And um, I I think we should rejoice in those and celebrate those moments, there are signs and they bring us great comfort. And um, if someone chooses not to believe that, that's okay. I know everything you're saying is correct. I've had my own moments.
0: We hope you or someone you love can benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources that are available. Many are listed in our show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center's suicide awareness Pact podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.